good morning. It's been a sweet morning so far, hasn't it? It has been so good. I am so thankful to, uh, to be back here at the Calvary campus. Last week I was uh, preaching at the Owasso campus, which I love, but I'll tell you a little secret. I love being here. <laughs> so we're going to continue our study uh, this morning, and we're actually going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your word, go ahead and turn to chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke. Um, but last week, uh, I wasn't here. I was at Calvary, but we were in the same passage. We were taking a look at Galatians 5, which deals with the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things that um, I drew out of that as I was preaching last week, and I want you guys to have in your minds as well, is that when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, uh, what the fruit of the Spirit actually does is the fruit of the Spirit kills sin. The fruit of the Spirit kills sin, and each and every one of the fruits of the Spirit, now I say fruits loosely because if you recognize this as the fruit of the Spirit, it's singular. There's one non-divisible fruit, yet there are several different elements. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those. But if you look at each and every one of those, those are each individually antidotes for specific works of the flesh. What the parallel was is he gives the works of the flesh and he says, but I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we took a look at that last week, and the idea is that the, that the, that the Spirit um, of God enables us to keep from gratifying the desires of the flesh. And actually, even though that was in Galatians, there is, there is great relationship here between that and what we're going to look at this morning. Because what we're going to look at this morning is this idea of the cost of discipleship. Um, and as we look at this... There's a point of this that we've got to look at that, that, that in our society and in our culture, we don't really understand discipleship very well. Even in Christianity, even in the church, we confuse this. And what happens is we start to walk and we start to talk as if, if you become a Christian, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more trials, there will be no more anything but pure bliss and happiness. And what we try to say is we try to say, hey, if you're a believer, let me show you the contrast. Before I was a believer, my life was in ruins. I was broke. I would get sick. Sometimes I'd lose my job. I'd have fights with my spouse. But now that I'm a believer, what's reality? You still have all of those things, don't you? So what we've got to recognize is that in our culture, there's some confusion around what it means to be a disciple of Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? And I think we try in make, trying to make Christianity attractive to the culture. And in doing so, we actually preach a false message of discipleship. We actually set up false expectations because what literally the word will tell us this morning is that there's a cost associated with following Christ. That's not popular, and that's, that's not like, you know, hey, hoorah, everything's going to be great. But it is good in some ways we're going to look at this morning, but really we're going to take a look at what does it mean to truly understand the cost of discipleship. So the major doctrine that I want to defend this morning is true Christianity is loving your soul enough to deny yourself so as not to deny Christ. True Christianity is loving your soul enough to deny yourself so as not to deny Christ. And I want to put this in your mind, and I'm going to put it on the screen. A better future you is found in sacrifice and self-denial in the present. Do you agree with that? A better future you is founded in a present sacrifice. It costs you something to get somewhere. And I believe the idea is, is the same within Christianity, that a better future us, that we become more and more like Christ, it requires self-denial in the present. 
And that's a continual process of discipleship and purification as God creates in us a new heart, but also sanctification, which is an ongoing process. And we'll see that as he continues that beautiful work that he began, there will be steps and decisions that we will make that will look a lot like sacrifice and self-denial in the present in order to realize a more Christ-like us in the future. So I want that to be in your mind as we get going this morning. But if you will, stand up and we'll begin reading our scripture and and, and unpacking um, our passage for today. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, and we'll read all the way through verse 26. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So this is a challenging passage, no doubt. And the three stops that I'm going to make this morning as we work through it is, first, self-denial is the way to Christ-likeness. Second, we want to consider the value of your soul. And third, we'll address the issue of the danger of being ashamed for Christ or being ashamed of Christ. Self-denial is the way to Christ-likeness, the value of your soul, and the danger of being ashamed of Christ. And so when we start with this concept, um, you see in verse 23... He says, this is Jesus speaking, and recognize that this is verse 9. This is uh, a long way before he, he actually goes to the cross. Uh, in, in, this, in this gospel, it places it right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then there's this conversation that's going on uh, with the disciples, and Jesus is saying this to them uh, after, right after he had kind of told them what his death was going to be like which is interesting to keep in mind because this isn't after Jesus has resurrected, but he's using, he's using an analogy already. What's the analogy he's using? Crucifixion, which is interesting because he hasn't been crucified yet, but he's pointing towards crucifixion as an analogy of what it looks like to follow him. Isn't that interesting? He said, you want to know what it's like to follow me? Pick up your cross. By the way, I haven't done it yet, but I will, and when I do... That's what you'll have as a model for your Christian life. Right? Okay, so that's what he does. And he said to all, Jesus, if anyone would come after me, Jesus is saying, if anyone would follow me, what do you have to do? So he's really addressing the question of how do you follow Christ? So we would do well to look at this and actually say, okay, Lord, show us what it means to be true Christ followers. The word Christian literally means a little Christ or Christ follower. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be someone who's learning from, to being discipled by, being taught by. What does it mean to be taught by, to be discipled by Christ? What does it mean for us to be little Christians, little Christ, little followers of Christ? Here's what Jesus says. If that's what you want to do, if that's what you want to be, step one, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. So I want to stop and unpack that idea. Self-denial is the way to Christ's likeness. And if you see, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We see in verse 23. But here's the question. Um, what does it mean to deny yourself? Because he says that if you, if you want to come after me, deny yourself. So we have to ask this question, what does it look like to actually practice denying ourselves? And I believe self-denial is in practice crucifying the desires of the flesh. 
It's looking at the world. It's looking at the world and its desires and saying, let they ever grow more and more dim. Let, let my spiritual tongue, if you will, become more and more numb to the taste of the world. Let me have less and less of a desire for the world. There's a part of that. But remember, we actually looked at it in Galatians last week, uh, that this concept of, of if you, Jesus, uh, actually Paul is saying, if you want to walk by the Spirit, here's what you should do. And he goes down and lists the, the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that you should increase in and strive for. But he says, if you walk by the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So last week and this week are very closely related because Jesus starts out with, here's what discipleship looks like. It looks like self-denial. And I believe that when we start to look at this and answer the question, what does it mean to deny ourselves? I think it means that in one way at least, it's to, den- to crucify the desires of the flesh. And it's not, it's not as if we um, got to go around and beat ourselves because there were some... Uh, the ascetics and the monastics, if you've ever studied uh, those guys, they, they went a little too hardcore. Um, I really loved their zeal, and, and they were all in. But what would they do? They said, okay, in order for me to follow Christ truly, what I've got to do is deny myself completely. Well, what does that look like? Well, here's what we think it looks like. It looks like going and finding some plateau out in the desert and climbing up on that rock and living by ourselves and calling for someone to bring some water to us every once in a while. But I can't really relate with you. Here, I'll lower down a bucket and a rope so I'm not actually hanging out with anyone in the world. By the way, Martin Luther, if you remember Martin Luther, the great reformer who started the Protestant Reformation, he was, he was in that line of, of, of ascetics. Asceticism, the basic idea is that you've got to beat your flesh down. So what would they do? Well, they would wear really rough clothing, really uncomfortable clothing, always scratchy, you know, scratchy itchy. They would sleep out on the ice and snow, freezing and just make themselves uncomfortable. They would eat terrible food, and some of them would actually walk around whipping themselves in the back all the time. Why? Because they thought that if they made the flesh weak and punished the flesh, then that therefore would make the the spirit strong. So they were taking this idea of denying yourself to a very, very extreme side of it. And I'm not arguing that's what we got to do. I'm not going to say we need to start off the Calvary uh, aesthetic movement uh, where we all whip ourselves and you whip me, I'll whip you. Hey, this will be great, right? I don't think that that's really where we need to head with our ministry plan. But it really does, I think, in practice, look like denying ourselves. It's not giving ourselves over to every indulgence, pleasure, and desire we've ever had, right? That's what it means to be self-indulgence, is to hold nothing back. What if, you, what if you're, you're, you're raising your children, and if you never denied your children anything, every single thing they ever wanted or asked for, you gave them? Would that be a good thing? No. no. What would you create? You would, yeah, all of those things. You would create a mess. And, and, and not to go political, but there's a person, I won't name his name, um, but I think he's got something right. And he says that part of what our job as parents is to do is to make sure our, our kids don't grow up and be annoying. <laughs> like, if it annoys you, it's probably going to annoy other people. So you should probably teach that out of them, right? There's some certain behaviors and, and, and things that we can do that are so selfish, they're so self-centered, so self-indulgent, that it really puts you at odds with everyone else in the universe. Those are the things that we ought to not practice. But what it looks like to not deny ourselves, the opposite of denying ourselves, would be to give ourselves over to every indulgence, every pl- desire, every pleasure we've ever had, um, without restricting any desire to go to do everything as we wish, 
But imagine if you actually lived that way. If you as an adult, you know, sometimes we kind of, uh, I like to think a little bit about when I was a kid and me and my family, we joke about this a little bit. It's like our kids will tell us sometimes, well, when I grow up, I'm going to do whatever I want. Really? Really? But I can remember when I was about 21 and the realization hit me that I could buy any cereal I wanted. Like, I didn't have to get great value in the bag. I could get the real deal Count Chocula in the box. That was a lie. That was a game changer for me. And I went to the store to go buy Count Chocula only to find that they had discontinued it. That was a little bit of a heartbreak. But in, there was a moment where I realized, I'm like, I'm in control of me. I can buy real cereal now. And I'm off to the store. But there's a sense in which if we always lived um, never denying ourselves, never telling ourselves no, always continually gratifying every desire we ever have, fully indulging in every pleasure we ever wanted, that is the complete opposite of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You become a narcissist. You become a very nasty person. But Christ says, if you want to follow me, step one, deny yourself. And then he uses the analogy of the cross. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And so I believe that at the heart of Christ's likeness is this denying ourselves. Um, and it's a desire to have our heart to not be set against the things of true Christ likeness. Because I do believe self-denial is in part a way to Christ's likeness. What did Jesus do? Jesus says in the garden to the Father, what? Your will. Your will be done. Jesus Christ denied himself in some ways. He says, I'm willing to become a suffering servant. He came to suffer for us. He came not to be served, but to serve. There was self-denial in that process. He had absolutely every right to claim uh, to be served, yet what he literally did was he made himself nothing, took on, the, took on the image of man, became man, so that he could serve us to die in our place. There is a self-sacrificial um, heart to that, and that's what it means for us to be Christ-like, as well as to deny ourselves, to not make everything about us, but to serve others. So I believe daily self-denial is absolutely necessary for true Christ-likeness. Because it's not just one time. It's not just denying yourself of some good certain thing. What it is, I think, bigger picture is a continual um, pattern and characteristic development of, of looking at uh, how can I ask and answer this question? Am I only about my own self-interests? Because that's not a one-time answered question. It's not that, oh, if I only refrain from this self-indulgence, if, if I don't do this one thing, that's not what it's about. It's not about naming the one or two things that you want to stop doing. It's asking the question overall, can my life be marked by obsessive self-interest and self-indulgence? Because it's not good enough for us to just identify two or three things that we're winning at. We've got to get to the heart of it. Am I truly following Christ? And a part of what I'm doing to follow Christ is literally ask myself this. Is this about me or is this about you? Is this about your will, Father, or is this about me? And it's really easy in our culture to actually make it all about me. In our culture, it's kind of a funny thing to say, but it's, it's true that many of us wake up believing that history started the day we were born. It's about me. It's about my story. 
Let me document every bit of this so that people can know my story. In the Old Testament, every bit of the community was, was, was bound up in this cultural identity of us. One would fall, we all suffer. One triumphs, we celebrate with them. That's why one person would sin and the whole camp would fall under judgment. Why? Because it wasn't just about our individual meta-narrative. It wasn't just about my story. It was about the community. And so what we do in our culture is we say, I like to privatize everything. We've talked about this. Privatize everything. Well, me and God, we got our own thing. That's okay. I don't need anybody else involved. But that's not the truth. Because what true Christianity looks like is living in biblical community. And part of that is, is, is daily asking that question, is my life marked by self indulgence and is my life marked by self-interest because those are the things that are going to be opposed to true Christ-likeness those are the things that are going to make it very difficult for us to actually follow Christ because you'll come to you'll come to forks in the road this way is self-indulgence and self-interest and this way is to follow Christ to be persecuted for his namesake to give sacrificially for his namesake to for his kingdom to grow do you get that See, in practice, maybe you've got a couple bucks. It's like, well, I can spend that on myself and my self-indulgence or my self-interest, or, or I can invest in the kingdom. And I'm not talking about specifically your tithes. That, that you should give with a cheerful heart whatever you've decided to give. That's, that's a whole other conversation. But in moments, specific moments, when you see specific needs come up and you can meet the need of somebody else, and Christ's name can be blessed through that, you have an option, don't you? And you can ask yourself, which way am I going to give? It could be your career. It could, it could be that you're at a fork in the road and you say, you know what? Here's what I want to do because I'm all about me and getting status and I want the titles and I want to be remembered as a great person in the world. Or Christ could be calling you to say, I want you to be obscure. I want you to be a mere stepping stone for my kingdom. Those are the moments that you have to ask, is this about me, is this about self-interest and self-indulgence, or is this truly about laying down my rights to follow Christ? Because the scary thing about the gospel is, is that we are truly purchased. Remember, it's, it, it, the scripture says that we are not our own, we are bought with a price, therefore honor God with our bodies. What that means is that if Christ truly has purchased us and he truly owns us, there's nothing off the table that he could ask us for. There's nothing that he can say, that, that we, we, are, we have permission to say, you know what, God, in this area of my life, this has nothing to do with you. There's not a secret compartment of our life where we can say, God, this is me, and this is about what I want. You can have the other 95, but for these five, these are for me. There's no part of our lives that can be like that if we're truly disciples of Christ. Literally, we are owned by him. And here's the thing, that self-denial is warring against the, 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 the flesh. And, and this, I think, is right along the lines with the crucifixion analogy that Christ employs. Um, and if you will, um, just, just hang out with me for a second. If you want to turn there, that's okay. But I'm going to read Galatians 5.24 to you, and then we're going to move on from this point. Galatians 5.24, I'll read it to you. It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you see that analogy that Paul used is the same analogy that Jesus is using? This crucifixion of the flesh, you die, your desires are, are, are put on the cross, 
And so here's, here's the idea is that the analogy that Christ uses when he says you want to be a disciple of me, deny yourself and take up your instrument of death and follow me. You know, we get confused and we have things like this. That's a cross. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's a fine thing to think about. But we are so far removed from it that it doesn't really mean much to us. When we look at that and we think, okay, yeah, Christ died on that thing. But let me tell you, in first century culture, that thing was a brutal object. Just like if you think of us joking about Auschwitz or, 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 or World War II and, and the slaughter of all those Jews, that'd be like going around and joking about a gas chamber. Like Jesus is saying, pick up your instrument of death. Pick up your electric chair. Pick up your lethal injection. Pick up your gas chamber. Pick up your noose. Like, that's literally what he's talking about. But we have this personification of the cross as some entity that's, that's kind of sweet and beautiful because we, we associate Christ with it and Christianity with it, but the first century audience did not do that. They did not have that association. They did not have that sweet association. They looked at that thing as an instrument of death and torment. So literally, think about that. When you look over there, that thing was designed to make people suffer. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross, he isn't talking about pick up your Christian bumper sticker and put it on your car. He's not saying pick up your WWJD bracelet. He is not saying pick up your Christianese shirt to represent me. He's literally saying, get ready to suffer. That is not a popular message. But that's what Jesus Christ, Jesus, isn't it? If you wanted to miss, dismiss Paul, dismiss Paul. That's a bad idea. But if you call yourself a Christian and you're a red letter only person, I only abide by the words of Christ, here you go. He doesn't let you escape. If you, if anyone would come after me, here's how you do it. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. I love this and I hate it at the same time because it's, 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 it's a beautiful image that we follow Christ. And I believe that there's this relationship here. No cross, no crown. That Jesus Christ took the cross and in the same way that he suffered, we suffer. Not to the exact same extent, theologically. There's a lot to unpack there. But he says, you think you're better than me? If I suffered, you think you're above suffering? In the same way that Christ suffered, in the same way that the world hated Christ, we will be hated by the world. We will suffer for his name's sake. But there's a promise of a crown. There's reward for those who follow Christ. And it's a beautiful thing to look at there. But I want to move on with the time we have left. I want to talk about this concept of the value of your soul. He goes on, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You see, we have, we have a God-sized hole in our hearts, and, and it, it, it is an injustice, and we actually lose ourselves when we try to fill that hole with anything other than Christ and his love for us. We have this God-sized hole in our hearts, and so when we start to think about what gives me value, what, what, what brings me true fulfillment, there's nothing in this world that actually gives us true eternal value besides our relationship to God. And having been made in his image, but then also having been found in Christ. And I'm reminded of Paul's words. He says, I consider it all loss. Right? I don't care about anything except for being found in Christ. 
Give it, take it all. And so we have to look at this as, and ask ourselves this question, if we truly are followers of Christ, um, the, first, the first principle that we have to look at of discipleship is self-denial, but the second one is willing to suffer. But also when we follow Christ, we have to recognize that there's nothing worth keeping or maintaining at the expense of our souls. There's nothing to be gained or maintained at the expense of our souls. And here's, here's the hard thing when we ask, what is the soul worth? I want you to think about getting everything you've ever wanted. What if you never denied yourself, um, but in the process you lose yourself? Pleasures and material possessions, right? They never fully satisfy, but just think about that. What if you got everything? And maybe think of a time when you got something that you wanted so badly. Think about that. Think back on a time where there was something you wanted and it just consumed you. Right? It's, it's, you're looking at it everywhere, you're researching about it, you're fantasizing about owning it, taking possession of it, whatever it is. Maybe it's a relationship. Think about that. When you wanted it so bad, and then when you got it, what was that like? Did it fulfill you? Was that the last thing you ever longed for? No. We lie to ourselves, though, don't we? We say, if only I had that one more thing. I can tell you I own about 14 guitars, and it's, it, it doesn't work. If I just had one more, but it's true, if I just had one more. <laughs> there is this sense in which we tell ourselves, if I just had that whatever, then I'll be good, right? But it's not true. What is, what is, what is really there is that we are made to be satisfied in Christ only, and when we get even to things that our, our hearts desire, when we long for them, when we actually get them, we have to recognize that the contentment doesn't last very long. You get a raise at work, and how long is it before you think you need more money? Right? You can go home and celebrate. I got a raise today. Now I make X amount of money. And then about two months later, you're thinking, they ain't paying me enough. I'm worth more than this. And then you get a little bit more. What do you, it's, it never stops. It never, ever stops. But in the process, let's hypothetically think through this. Everything you ever wanted, you got. If you got all of that, but in exchange for that, you lose yourself. You are no longer who you want to be. I don't know about you, but I can, I can, I can reflect on times in which I was, I was not walking with the Lord, and I literally could recognize that I was losing myself. I didn't want to be who I was becoming. Can you relate to that? That you, you are turning into someone you don't want to be. I tell my kids this all the time. It's like you can be very, very smart. And you can get away with your sins. But even if no other person ever finds out, who are you becoming? Because you may gain the whole world but lose yourself. You may gain the whole world and lose your soul. What is your soul worth? There's nothing on earth so worth attaining or maintaining if it means we deny Christ while forsaking our souls and ourselves who are we made in christ to be and let us not be tempted by the things of the world so that we give up our souls we lose ourselves trying to get these things and this is this is a you know an, an interesting struggle that we've got to go through as we live in this world that there's there's this balance that we strike with with trying to do well with what god has given us and i'm not saying that you should go quit your job and let's all uh, profess poverty and let's all share in our poverty together you'll have nothing and i'll have nothing and we'll share it you know that, that's that's not what i what we should do 
We should have an eternal perspective, though, with our possessions, recognizing that God gives us good gifts, and he gives us good jobs, and he gives us good material possessions and warm homes. Those are good things, as long as they don't own us, as long as they don't become ultimate things. But the point is, is when we start to ask ourselves, what would I give up if it meant following you, Jesus? And none of those things should be there that we should say, well, I'll give anything but this. I'll give anything. I'll follow you, God, but don't you ever take my kids from me. I will follow you unless my wife leaves me, then I'm going to blame you for it. I will follow you while you bless me in my career and give me promotion after promotion, but as soon as I lose my job, I'm going to question your love for me. That's part of what it looks like to be having a heart towards gaining the whole world but then losing our souls because we start to make things ultimate things, things that we say, God, you can have everything but this. And those are the idols of our hearts. Those are the things that we've got to do business with with God. Those are the things that we've got to continually war against and deny ourselves in working against them. But I'm reminded of the story of the man who was really rich, uh, and he, he told his wife when he died, he said, he's like, I've worked really hard for all of this money, and I love you, dear, but when I die, I want to be buried with all my money and all my things. So, okay, dear. Well, then he dies. And just as they're about to close the casket, everyone has already left. The wife goes up, and then she's saying her goodbye to her husband, and she throws a check in his casket, and they close it. <laughs> Wrote him a check. Cash it, if you will. But that's, that's what we have to think about. There's not a single thing that we're going to take. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had the experience of, of cleaning out someone's estate, if you've ever been to an estate sale, what do you see? All sorts of stuff that they've accumulated their whole life. And who's it left to? Somebody else. I mean, it's absolutely insane for us to pursue these things as ultimate things while forgetting that one day we're going to lay in some bed too weak to even feed ourselves. And when we are dead, someone's going to have to go through all of our stuff and sort it out anyways. And sell it for way less than what we paid for it. Like, it's crazy. But we forget about that, don't we? We're like, we're like those crows. Ooh, it's shiny. Work hard, sacrifice, die for it. Here it is. And it's really not worth anything in the long run. So we have to recognize the value of our soul, and there's nothing worth attaining or maintaining if it means we deny Christ while forsaking our souls to hell. I want to throw up this third thing on the, on the screen, and then we're going to move to our last point and close. Self-denial and tragedy might bring temporal loss, but the loss of a man's soul is forever and irreversible. To sit under the eternal judgment of God is a high price to pay for temporal pleasure. Think about that. To sit under the eternal judgment of God is a high price to pay for any temporal pleasure. We've got to have the end in mind. And third, let's, let's, let's close with this idea of what it means to be ashamed of Christ. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Verse 26. And I believe that this is, in practice, to be ashamed of Christ. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, that means the teachings of Christ, in which we would literally say is of the scriptures as well here. He says, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father. 
what we have to recognize is that if we live a life ashamed of Christ and his teachings, really that's a manifestation of unbelief. We don't believe he is who he said he is. If, if, we, if we retract in weakness and shame, valuing the opinion of the world, valuing that we be accepted by people of the world over being accepted by Christ, what we're literally in practice saying is, I don't believe who you say you are, you are who you say you are, Jesus. Because I want you to think back whenever um, the, the disciples went up on the mountain with Jesus in the Mount of, of Transfiguration and what they saw, uh, and, and just imagine they had this experience and they saw um, Jesus and, and, and his glory and they saw Moses there and it was just this crazy thing. And then they're going down the hill and Jesus is saying, well, you really don't understand now, but I'm trying to explain to you that I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. And they're like, I don't really get it. But then when he did come back and they did see Jesus, and they did recognize him, what confidence did that give them in their faith? Like, they were not ashamed of Jesus. And if you look and you think about the first century church, the disciples, every one of them gave their lives for Christ, for the message. They were not ashamed. And not only were they not ashamed, they weren't living in fear. Why? Because they truly believed that Jesus is who he said he was. And if you and me believe that he truly is God, if he truly is present, if he truly is coming back, but not only coming back, right now reigning, right now governing the affairs of the world is providence, is seeing it that we are provided for. If you truly believe that, how can you be ashamed of him? You can't be unless you don't believe it. Now, the challenge is, is that we can't, we can't grow our own faith, and so we have to ask for faith because faith is a gift from God. But there are steps that we can make to, to, to increase and strengthen our faith. And we can commune with God. And we can have a relationship with him. We can pray. We can spend time with him. And in that, that's that sweetness in which the relationship is nurtured and grows. And in that sweetness, when you're spending time with the Lord, when you are loving him and being loved by him, it makes it harder and harder for you to be ashamed of him. It makes it harder and harder to want to distance yourself from him. It makes it easier and easier for, just, for you to say, if Jesus is with me, I don't care who else is against me. Literally. And I'm going to tell you what, in practice, I can tell you, I, I work in the corporate world too. Um, I have been blessed to, to raise up in um, a massive company. And I enjoy great influence. And sometimes people are like, how and who are you? What in the world are you doing? Because everyone else is freaking about, out about the dog-eat-dog, red and blood and tooth and claw of the corporate world. And there's days that I write in my journal before I head into the office, and I think, God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I'm trusting in you. And I look forward to tonight when I come back to this hotel room to write about the good that you've done today. But during that day, I feel like I'm invincible. I'm like, fire me! Because I've got God on my, I, God owns it. You think you're rich? You don't have anything. You think you're smart? You don't know anything. Literally, you have the confidence. And when you do that, but yet you're loving and respectful, because you're a child of God and you walk as if a child of God. You're blessed. And I'm not a prosperity preacher, but you are blessed. And no one can touch you. And when you're living like that, it's really hard to be ashamed of Jesus.
So I want to I remind you, confess Christ today, claim him today, and he will claim you before the Father. Let us pray. I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for your tenderness towards us sinners. I thank you, Jesus, that you give us the analogy of the cross, not as some distant thing that you don't know anything about, but you give us the analogy of the cross as one who's gone to the cross. You know what crucifixion is. You know what it is like to deny yourself for the sake of others. So Jesus, I pray that you give us the spirit that enables us to live in self-denial. That we would trust that you are with us, that you love us. And that there's nothing in the world worth attaining or maintaining if it costs us our souls, if it causes us to deny you. So Father, I pray that you move this morning as we continue to worship, as we continue to reflect on the beautiful things that you've done in our lives. Let us walk in great confidence as children of God. May we celebrate that this morning. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and continue to worship. And if, if you want to do business with God, if you want to thank him for the good he's done, if you need to pray about maybe some ways that you are living in self-indulgence and, and, and that your life is full of self-interest, and maybe you've got to confess that sin, do that. Or maybe you just want to praise God and just enjoy his sweetness this morning. Do that as well as we continue to worship.